Hello and welcome back to the To The Heights podcast. This is Olivia Colombo, and I am so excited to be embarking on this project of sharing stories of the young people of the Catholic Church and those who minister to them. Our title, To The Heights, is a translation of the quote, Verso Lealto, by Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati, a 24-year-old Catholic who is on his way to canonization because he glorified God in his daily life as a student, as a lover of mountain climbing, and in his caring for the poor and vulnerable. His quote, To the Heights, is a prayer and reminder to keep on reaching for the glory of God and for sainthood in our ordinary daily lives. Through my own faith journey, I've had the blessing of meeting our guest today, and I cannot wait to share her story with you. Today's guest is no stranger to those in the Archdiocese of Boston, as her beautiful and holy presence is an inspiration and a comfort to so many. I'm overjoyed to have Mother Olga of the Sacred Heart on the To the Heights podcast today. We met a few years ago on the March for Life, and I was definitely a little starstruck. Mother Olga is an amazing religious sister from Iraq. She has an incredible and courageous backstory. She started out as a sister in the Assyrian Church of the East, and after being a campus minister at Boston University for several years, she came into communion with the Roman Catholic Church and Cardinal Sean discerned with her about starting a new religious order, the Daughters of Mary of Nazareth, which is now an eight-year-old order of which she is the mother servant. Mother Olga's story is inspiring, and she truly carries the presence of Christ with her. I hope you enjoy the conversation and get inspired by Mother Olga's story of reaching to the heights. I am here in the Catholic TV studio in Watertown, and I have a very exciting guest with me. Would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Mother Olga of the Sacred Heart. I'm the mother servant of the Daughters of Mary of Nazareth here in the Archdiocese of Boston. I'm so excited that you're here. And Mother Olga was actually here because you were on This Is The Day this morning. Um, and I'm so grateful that you were able to come up and record with me afterwards. Thank you for having me, Olivia. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so, would you like to tell me a little bit about the Daughters of Mary of Nazareth? Because it's somewhat of a newer order. We've heard from other sisters on this season. We heard from um, Sister Bethany of the Daughters of St. Paul, yeah. which is obviously a little bit of an older order. So, do you like to tell kind of the story of how it started? Yeah, thanks be to God. Um, our community is a, a new community. It's been about um, eight years uh, for our foundation. May 31st will be exactly eight years since the first group of uh, wow. young women who joined me. Um, and it's uh, under the, the blessings of Cardinal Sean O'Malley because he was the one who originally invited me to discern. As you know, I am from Iraq mm -hmm. and I came here for school. I was um, brought up here by the Jesuits from Middle East who are part of the Boston College province. So I came here for school, but um, thanks be to God, after you know years of prayer and discernment through the guidance of Cardinal Sean O'Malley, um, he asked me to discern to stay and uh, possibly start a new community for the Archdiocese of Boston, especially because of my work with young people at mm -hmm. Boston University, where I was a campus minister for 10 years. So after many years of discernment, the Lord gave us uh, confirmation to begin this new community. And I always knew that whatever you know, the Lord leads me to do, it has to be under 
the maternal care of the Blessed Mother. So that's why the name of our community is Daughters of Mary of Nazareth. And our habit is blue in honor of the Blessed Mother. Um, we follow the spirituality of Blessed Charles de Foucault, um, or we call it also the spirituality of Nazareth. So um, we focus so much on um, you know, the message of the incarnation, how we bring Jesus in today's world and sanctify the world as Mary sanctified John in the womb of his mother just by her presence when she went to uh, greet and serve her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, Blessed Charles, our patron, he always said, you know, uh, John left with joy in the womb of his mother because he felt the sanctity of Mary's presence. Uh, she brought Jesus in her womb to John without even like speaking, you know, about him or anything, but just carrying his presence with her uh, made John leap with joy and sanctified him from the time of um, you know being in the womb of his mother so that's really the focus of blessed Charles spirituality how we can sanctify the world that we live in by carrying Jesus everywhere we go and carrying his message and his presence to people wow that's beautiful that whole like carrying Jesus within you without yes. speaking a word yeah, yeah. And, and I feel Olivia it's such a needed message today because mm -hmm. uh, you know people are distracted by so many things today in the world you know even in workplaces or you know um, it's almost sometimes I hear people say we are on this treadmill of life you know running yes. running 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 so um, you know the spirituality of ministry of presence is so important how to meet people where they are at and show them that peace that love that joy that comes from our Lord himself um, and also because my discernment with Cardinal Sean early on it, it was really during the time of when the scandal had mm -hmm. very big in Boston and a lot of people were angry and rightly so and understandable and we are going through it again now um, but at that time I, I mentioned to Cardinal Sean and to you know the young women who were kind of visiting with me in their early stages of discernment I said we live in a time that People are leaving the church because they are angry, they are upset. So how we can be messengers of the church in the world, like how we can take the, the face of the mother church to her children who are hurting out yeah. in the world and, and please God by bringing healing and peace and joy to people, then they will come get to see that the church is much bigger than our wounds or those who caused those wounds in the church so they can come back to the church. Beautiful. Amen. Amen to all of that. Um, would you like to tell me, so you did not start out as Roman Catholic, right? Correct. And you didn't start out as a Roman Catholic sister either. Correct. Would you like to tell me a little bit about how you first became a sister and then how you ended up becoming a Roman Catholic sister? Yeah. So um, I always say that every every vocation and, and more so every community exists based on the needs of the local church in the mm -hmm. local time that we live in. So as you know, I was born and raised in Iraq and my generation, I grew up through four wars. Mm -hmm. um, the first war, eight years with, you know, between Iraq and Iran. And the second one is the war uh, in Kuwait. And the third war was the first desert war. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth one was the 2000, um, 
three also desert war. So because, you know, I grew up with all these wars, you know, that affected my country, um, you know, profoundly in just very, very painful way mm-hmm. to watch. You know, we lost so many people. I lost so many friends and neighbors and homes and schools. And, you know, all these wars never gave opportunity to the country to really rebuild itself between these wars. Yeah. Um, so it was really my vocation was born based on, you know, the needs of my people because I saw so much suffering in my people because of the effect of war. Uh, you know, so many homeless people because lost their homes, um, so many elderly that they lost their love, loved ones, young sons and daughters in war, so they didn't have anybody to care for. In our culture before the war, we didn't have nursing homes because it's part of the culture that kids take care of their elderly parents and grandparents at home. But unfortunately, after the war, when these young men and women died in war, these elderly people needed somebody Mm. to care for them. And same thing, we had a lot of children who became orphans. Um, So it was really my vocation was born based on the the needs of my people at that time in Iraq from the homeless of war, the handicap of war, the, the orphan children and um, the elderly people. So that's how I felt like Jesus was calling me um, to be his hand, to be his feet, to be his eyes, to be his ear to those who were suffering. So that's why I chose to pursue the life of mm. consecration so I can give my life to Jesus and give him permission. As Mother Teresa always used to say, give Jesus permission to use you. So. Um, that was my inspiration, really, to give Jesus permission with my life that he would use me for those in need. Um, so that was in terms of my vocation first as a, uh, as a religious sister in the Eastern Rite that's not in union with Rome. But then I noticed also the, the beautiful devotions of my Chaldean neighbors um, who are in union with Rome. And that is how I became exposed to the Catholic devotions and traditions from you know, praying the Holy Rosary, going to daily Mass, going to adoration, um, you know, life of saints, you know, like I learned so much uh, from just witnessing, you know, my Catholic neighbors and, and the beauty of, of um, you know, their devotions and their way of life. So when I came to Boston, um, that's how I became more actively discerning to become in full communion with the Roman Catholic Church. So then when I met Cardinal Sean at Boston University through all the ministries that I used to do there, um, he was very open to receive me into the Catholic Church. And because Mother Mary has been always mother of my faith and my journey, um, even like vocational journey, so I chose that um, my birthday in the church to be on the Nativity of Mary. So Cardinal Sean received me into the church um, on September 8, um, uh, 2005. So I became in full communion with the Roman Catholic Church. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, do you want to highlight maybe for listeners who don't know what the major differences between the two churches are? Um, so I, my parents, my upbringing was uh, part of a church uh, called Assyrian Church of the East. It's an Eastern Rite that's not in union with Rome. Like um, we have other Eastern Rites are in union with Rome. They follow the Holy Father. They follow the same tradition of the Roman Catholic Church, even if they have a little bit different liturgy because they are 
part of the Eastern yeah. Rite. But my childhood church is called the Assyrian Church of the East. That's not in union with Rome. They have their own patriarch. And in Aramaic, our native language, we also call him Holy Father mm -hmm. for the Assyrian Church of the East. Um, some of the theological differences are, you know, the, the different doctrines and devotions that we have to the Blessed Mother. They don't have um, those in, in their mm -hmm. uh, tradition. They do believe in the Blessed Mother, but they, you know, they don't call her Mother of God and they don't um, have the Immaculate Conception dogma that oh, wow. we have. Um, they don't, because they don't have same saints, so they are not familiar with the Holy Rosary and how the Holy Rosary prayer was introduced in the Catholic Church and other saints that we have and their uh, devotion in terms of introducing total consecration to Jesus through oh, wow. hands of Mary. Um, the other difference also that uh, most of the Assyrian Church of the East Priests, they all get married. Um, uh, except those who choose to pursue like higher order, like to be uh, a bishop, they don't get married. But if they don't choose to become bishops, they get married. So um, we don't have daily mass um, in the Assyrian Church of the East. We also don't have a tabernacle. The, the Eucharist is, uh, the, ho the sacred host is consecrated on Sundays mm -hmm. um, and has to be consumed all at the end of the Mass. So if you walk in any Assyrian church, you don't see a tabernacle. Interesting. Um, so for me to be daily in the presence of the Lord in the Holy Eucharist, going to adoration and receiving Him every day, you know, He is. And yes, he teaches us in the scripture, he's the bread of life. But for me, like he's my daily bread, you know, yeah. like he is the one who sustained me in my vocation and my faith journey. But I often say I didn't leave the Assyrian church because it was not a true church. No, the Assyrian church is apostolic church, um, just like the Roman Catholic church. But they have their theological and um, doctrinal differences, which I was I felt I'm drawn to what we have in the Catholic Church. But I'm grateful to the church of my childhood, you know, that I was baptized. Um, that's another difference, that in the Assyrian Church of the East, we receive all the three sacraments of initiation yep. in infancy, mm -hmm. like baptism, first communion, and confirmation. So I received all three sacraments when I was only two weeks old. Um, so I'm grateful to the church of my childhood for raising me in faith and uh, tradition of an apostolic church, but I was just personally drawn more to the fullness that we have in the Catholic Church. Interesting. Okay, I have one more question. So as someone who's studying sacramental theology, I, I don't know, I love all of this stuff and like studying the restored order of the sacraments and stuff like that. Um, actually, my final sacramental project was the Greek Orthodox Church versus Catholicism and their sacramental art. But how, so if Cardinal Sean received you into the Roman Catholic Church, what? It, but you had already received all of your sacraments of initiation. What did that process actually look like? Like, what did he actually do? So, uh, one of the main things, because uh, you know, my my childhood church was an apostolic church, one of the uh, apostolic churches in in the history of Christianity. Yeah. So, I didn't need to receive to be baptized yeah. again, um, but I was just uh, prepared to make a profession of faith. Okay. In the in the Roman Catholic Church, and to acknowledge the, um, you know, the authority of the magisterium, and you know, um, the leadership of our Holy Father in the teachings of the Catholic Church, through the profession of faith, uh, okay. of the Catholic faith. Interesting. Yeah, that, that is very interesting. Do you think 
or how do you think that being from a different country and being from a different um, sect of Catholicism initially, do you think those influence your work now? Um, definitely, because sometimes when you go to a new place and you are not from there, it's almost like you have, um, you know, fresh eyes to look mm -hmm. at, you know, different yeah. things. So um, I'm, I'm grateful to God who has led my, my path to this country and to, you know, serve our American people. But um, because I have, uh, as St. Paul, uh, St. John Paul II used to say, to breathe with both lungs, the East mm -hmm. and the West. So being born and raised in, in the um, Eastern tradition, and now I am part of the Western tradition, uh, I feel there is a richness in both. Uh, so to bring that complementarity in uh, you know, my prayer life and my devotion and also my ministry, um, it's so enriching and so beautiful. Uh, and same thing being from Middle East, from you know, um, a part of the world that suffered so much, um, that has influenced my pastoral work. You know, I have um, just a, a very deep spot in my heart for people who suffer because I've seen, you know, mm -hmm. tremendous suffering in my own life. True, very true. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about what what is your ministry and what does your daily life look like now? So because we follow the spirituality of Nazareth, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's really uh, aimed and, um, you know, centered on how to bring the ministry of God's presence in our life. Um, you know, as we know that uh, one of our uh, prayers during Advent, we say about the incarnation that God visited his people. Mm -hmm. So that is really our focus. You know, the ministry of presence is how we can make people say, God visited his people uh, through the ministry of presence and being present to them. And um, one of the ways we do that is we focus on the seven corporate works of mercy. So we serve at five nursing homes um, in our south region uh, area where we live in Quincy and surrounding um, area of Quincy. Um, most of our sisters, they play instruments, music oh, and yeah. sing. So. Um, we bring communion to the elderly, we pray with them, we um, just be present to them and their families, um, but we also do music ministry at all the nursing homes. Um, and it's beautiful, I was sharing with somebody earlier this morning, especially there is one um, nursing home where uh, it's specialized for people with Alzheimer, mm -hmm. and a lot of them, they no longer recognize their spouses, their children or grandchildren, but it's amazing when we go there twice a month, and we start playing music and kind of old yeah. American songs, and not just religious hymns, but even patriotic songs, American songs, like from their generation. It awakens something in their soul. Sometimes even if they are kind of half asleep in their wheelchair, they open their eyes and they start singing, you know, because it's so ingrained in their old memory. Um, so it's just really so, it's such a gift for us to be able to serve them and to see um, you know, what is deep inside them. So we serve at five nursing homes and um, we also serve at women's shelter. Uh, right. It's a special shelter for pregnant mothers. Yes. They come during their pregnancy and they can stay until uh, the baby is one year old. Um, all our sisters, they teach the moms um, different uh, things, especially theology of the body, women's dignity, women's worth, uh, because a lot of them, they don't have male figure in their life. And whether, you know, they get pregnant because of a, 
a relationship, passing relationship, or sometimes even rape or human trafficking. So it's really so important for us to help these women um, kind of rediscover their worth and their beauty. And we help the babies. We do different activities for them, like for Thanksgiving, especially those who are not from America. You know, we invite them to our home. We mm-hmm. introduce them to the meaning of American yeah. Thanksgiving. We do the same for Christmas, for Easter, for Mother's Day. Uh, we do outing for them. We take them to different That's places, awesome. the moms and the babies. And um, because my medical studies, I also go with them to the labor. So um, I help all the moms with their delivery. And, you know, sometimes I stay with them two days in the hospital or three days if it's a C-session. But I have witnessed birth of so mm-hmm. many babies uh, through our ministry at this shelter. And we also do prison ministry. Um, we, especially during Advent and Lent, we do retreats at the prison for both men and women. Um, and even outside our diocese, we go. There is a prison in Springfield. We go there every land to do retreats for them. And more recently, as you know, unfortunately, one of the biggest tragedies in our culture in our time is addiction. Mm, yes. So we help a lot of uh, families who have loved ones suffering from addiction, and we have a particular ministry. There is one uh, rehab center, but it's. Um, it's not a center where people can go there voluntarily to get help. Uh, for the most part, these are men who are sent there sanctioned by the court mm. to get help. Um, so we go there, we um, do prayer services, we bring communion. And just recently, I was so excited, one of the uh, big rehab centers, the one where we serve, um, I was able to invite a priest. They gave me permission to bring a priest um, to help the men if they wanted to receive sacrament of mm-hmm. reconciliation. We did adoration there for the first time. Wow. Um, and one of the important things also about our ministry, uh, we feel called to serve in public places, not mm-hmm. like Catholic facilities, yeah. because we feel that there is a need to bring Jesus' presence in those public places. Um, if that makes sense. Yes, definitely. That's so beautiful. There's so much there. That's so Amen. good. Amen. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't know that you had a medical background. That's so... Yes. Yeah. I, so I studied biology with uh, emphasis on uh, human physiology. And then I did uh, my um, second um, kind of more specialized studies in hematology. And I was preparing for medical school. And I did start medical school uh, for one full year. But unfortunately, the second year, when the war started again and our university uh, was bombed and closed and um, I was never able to go back to finish my my education in medical school but because of my biology, human physiology, hematology and one-year medical school um, you know I I have enough knowledge that helps me with ministry as needed but I'm not in in any way like you know a specialized midwife or a doctor Mm -hmm. or but I use whatever knowledge that God allowed me in those years to study to be able to help those in need. Wow, that's awesome. And I don't know, I've done a little bit of mission work in Haiti, and people who have a medical background are in high demand and very, very useful. And I don't know, we, we served actually a few episodes ago, I think the first episode of this podcast, we talked to my youth minister that I grew up with. Um, and we serve this man who's paralyzed and all of the kids who want to go to medical school someday or have some like experience like they all get to go to the paralyzed man and I don't know like clean him up and help him help him and he has lots of bed sores and yeah so that's beautiful and praise God yeah a little added skill that's awesome yeah um would you like to tell me about what 
prayer for you and for your specific order looks like? So um, as a religious order, we follow the tradition of the church um, and in terms of the prayers of any religious order. So we pray the office of readings in the morning, and then we have our morning prayer as well. Uh, we pray the breviary, uh, the four volumes of the breviary that starts with the office of readings and then the morning prayer. And then we pray, uh, and we, we always pray communal as a community. Mm-hmm. So we have office of readings, then morning prayer, and then we have evening prayer, and then we have night prayer. So these are the communal liturgical prayers that we pray. We call it the prayer of the church because yeah. the breviary is prayed by every religious order, every ordained priest, and every seminarian. So uh, it's a really powerful way of being united in the church by praying the prayer of the church. And then we have daily mass, we have daily adoration, uh, one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening. And then uh, sisters are encouraged also to pray on their own the uh, daily Holy Rosary and the daily Divine Mercy Chaplet. Um, so that is in terms of our you know, daily prayers. And then once a week we have a, a day, we call it Desert Day. It's a day of complete solitude and silence and no ministry on that day. It's really to help the sisters um, you know, enter deeper into the pr- praying with the scripture, Lexio Divina, spiritual readings, longer hours of adoration or prayer. So we call it Desert Day. Wow. How do you, do you all split up? for that day and like go or do you all stay in the house together? No, we, we all stay in the house together but it's a desert day for everybody so okay. uh, all the meals are in silence mm-hmm. you know it's a day of complete yeah. solitude and silence in the house yeah like a regular silent retreat amen it's beautiful yeah. Yeah. yeah um all right so i guess changing gears a little bit so i don't i don't know if you remember you meet a lot of people so we actually ran into each other at the march for life a few years ago father matt williams introduced us briefly in the craziness that no, like, I, do, get, I do remember you, you do? I do rem- and you wrote me a note yes, after that i, I did have it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i'm so glad you remember me um so we've run into each other in pro-life ministry before and you mentioned the friends of the unborn um house which i actually i was just in the car ride here i'm I just got elected to our pro-life um, like executive board Please for the on. club at Boston College, um, and we were talking about like how can we help Friends of the Unborn next semester. So we have some some plans, some coming. ideas. Yes. Please God, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and today you're in the studio because you're talking about the night for life. Yes, which is awesome. Um, would you like to tell me a little bit about the Night for Life? And then I have some pro-life questions okay. off of all of that. Um, so thanks be to God, the, the idea really came out as a fruit of prayer, you know, between, um, you know, me and our community and our mayor in Quincy, because he's such a devout Catholic mayor and very pro-life. And he has also his own uh, uh, men's group, prayer men's mm-hmm. group that they meet every Thursday. Um, and it's really, I think it's a wonderful example. It shows you that how when you know faithful politicians or local you know religious leaders or communities yeah. come together there is so much power in that mm-hmm. because we all desire to do the will of god and we all desire to do good for our local communities um so you know when i was at bu i used to take bu students every year for march for life and then even after we started the community we still go as sisters all of us every yeah. year uh, to march for life so the the, the pro-life ministry is so important to us, um, you know, part of our apostolic work. Uh, and also our mayor, like he's, he's very pro-life. He 
um, he always says, you know, I'm more concerned about getting to heaven than getting reelected, you know, because That's beautiful. he just yeah. he just want to bring the teaching of the church to his people that he serves. So we prayed about it and, you know, he asked me if I would be willing to, you know, help with this event and absolutely like without, mm-hmm. you know, question, I was right, you know, on yeah. board with, with his proposal. And then we immediately thought we wanted to do something big, really like in the heart of the city. Um, one of the quotes from Blessed Charles, he always used to say, we have to sanctify our culture by being like the yeast in the dough. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the yeast makes the dough rises from within. Yeah. So we felt, you know, if we want to do something for, you know, our community, local community and the South Shore region, uh, and hopefully please through them to the whole state of Massachusetts, we have to bring something into the heart of the city. So the mayor very generously offered that we can host it at the Veterans Stadium, mm-hmm. which fits about 3,500 people. Wow. Um, which is the largest really uh, please God pro-life event that we have heard like in in Massachusetts um, so we begin the planning for it and but we knew it in order to host it in the stadium it will require like big, big production yeah. you know to really provide a big program for people and uh, our mayor reached out to John Flatley from the Flatley Foundation and he was very gracious he said my father would have been proud to sponsor something like this so we're going to do it we are 100% behind you um, just give us the budget what you need and, and we're going to be partnered with you in this so really it came together like uh, through the prayer menace group that the mayor belongs to our community and the Flatley Foundation and because of the resources now we have um, you know, first and foremost, we wanted the blessings of the church. So I shared that with Cardinal Sean, mm-hmm. and he gave us his blessings. And same thing, our vicar general, Bishop Ulieto, and the chancellor, John Straub, they spread the message to all, every parish in mm-hmm. the diocese. They sent the, um, the announcement about this yeah. event to all the priests of the archdiocese. And then because of the help of Flatley Foundation, we were able to get this big producer of pro-life activist uh, Jason Scott uh, Johns that he is coming and also this um, beautiful woman her story is so powerful that she struggled with her pregnancy and she contemplated abortion uh, but then thanks be to God you know she had change of heart she chose to uh, carry her pregnancy but give the child to adoption mm-hmm. uh, and then many years later she connected with um, you know her child in adulthood and it's just oh. a a testimony of faith and hope and courage on everybody's part, really, on our mayor and, you know, um, this woman and J- Jason, um, Scott, Johns, and our community and everybody coming together to do it. So, And we have also a praise band, and we can have the Blessed Sacrament exposed all night throughout the evening uh, event. And we have also put special prayers for Rosary for Life. We're going to also be uh, leading Rosary um at you know different uh, part of the night but we also have selected uh, i call it uh, generations rosary like we're gonna have from child to great grandfather like different generations and different gender of people and um, career background to pray this rosary to show that the message of life uh, it's not limited for uh, you know a stage uh, an age of the person or a career or a vocation the message of life is the heart of the gospel, and it's our role to take it out to people. 
So true. That's so beautiful. And I'm so excited for the event. Praise God. Yeah, yeah. we are asking a lot of prayers. I have written to most of the religious orders mm-hmm. in the Diocese of Boston, about hundreds of priests, just asking people to pray because I do believe, um, you know, in my opinion, this is just my own opinion, like there are two ways we can help our country and our culture uh, to become culture of life. First, through power of prayer, and second, through education. Like we need to educate people about, you know, the true meaning of life and the gift of every child. Um, you know, life is a gift in all stages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so true. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's a very big event, and I'm sure it will be. And with that many people, like, so many hearts could be changed. Amen, like, amen. Someone's heart is bound to be changed. That many people in one space. Um, yeah, I'm so excited, and I will be reporting for Catholic TV that night, so <laughs> I will run into you again then. Thank you, as Olivia. well. Um, you touched on it just now, but would you like to tell me about your time as a campus minister at BU? Because I think, especially with some college age listeners like that, the life of a campus minister and the role of a campus minister is very interesting. Um, and it's interesting to hear what you've learned about young people from doing that, especially at a college that isn't like, that would be a completely different ballgame at BC because it's Catholic or Catholic in name. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, those years, they were very, very special years, um, you know, in, in my ministry and my life um, here in America. Um, I was there, as you know, for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, were very precious years. Sometimes, uh, you know, I tell people, like, if we are driving by somewhere in Boston and we kind of get closer to Charles River or, yeah. you know, Kenmore area, uh, I always say I think part of my heart stayed at BU just mm-hmm. because um, I love the students so much and I loved... Uh, bringing them, you know, closer to Jesus um, and to the Blessed Mother and to the Church. Uh, they were really very, very blessed years. I know sometimes there is perception that, you know, college life is tough, it's hard. You know, even kids who grow up Catholic, then they go to the college, they forget about everything. They, you know, they become so secularized. And, and maybe that is true to some extent, but I had you know, completely the opposite experience. You know, I I just saw so many fruits of good, what good Catholic ministry can do to people, you know, between the Brotherhood of Hope and myself, you know, men's group, women's group, and, you know, all the retreats and pro-life activities. And we had BU Right to Life group and right. um, just so many ministries. We saw fruit of so many vocations just from my time of those 10 years. Now, thanks be to God, we have uh, 10 men uh, four are already ordained priests. Wow. One is getting ordained in June, and then next year we'll have another one who's studying in Rome will be ordained. Um, and then we have three more are in the seminary. These are 10 just from the 10 years yeah. that I was there. Um, this is just like priestly vocations, mm-hmm. and, and same thing in religious life. Like I have two daughters in my own community. Yeah. They were part of the BU campus ministry, and I know other women who went to also different communities before I started this community. And so many holy matrimonies, like I have uh, 14 godchildren, just from the, you know, I call them kids, you know, Mm -hmm. like my young people that I ministered to and served, I became really like a spiritual mother to them. So um, there were so many fruits of campus ministry. I'm so grateful to uh, Father David Barnes. Now he's yes. the uh, director of campus ministry there, and they continue to do awesome job with the focus missionaries yeah. as well. So it, it's challenging, it's difficult, but when when you have solid people, their heart is with the Lord, with the church's teaching, you will like harvest you know, abundant fruit from, from such ministry. 
So true. Very true. And it is such a vibrant community. We had some of the BU kids come um, on the March for Life with us this past year. And I actually, I went to seek the focus conference with BU. I snuck in and pretended to be a BU student for the weekend. Um, Is there anything that you learned about ministering to young people that is effective in, like, what tips do you have for ministering to that age group? One of the things really I I recognize in our young people, they are um, genuine in their search. Mm-hmm. Like truly, I, I think sometimes we dismiss that because we think, oh, you know, they are young people, they don't know what they want or, um, but really when they are passionate about something and something genuine, um, you know, they inspired me, they inspired me to do more for them uh, because they are really, you know, genuinely wants to give and to serve, especially in the area of service. It was amazing. Uh, BU is very well known for their alternative spring break which I used to do it every year. I used to do that for the women. I mm-hmm. used to lead just uh, a term spring break for women every year. And the brothers from the Brotherhood of Hope, they used to do a term spring break for the men. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really amazing. Like it kept growing every year. You know, we, we did domestic service trips, you know, in United States. And we did also international service trips with our students. And I noticed, you know, when it was around the area, people choosing uh, alternative spring break, some students used to sleep uh, overnight, you know, on the street waiting for the office to open. I don't mean our office, Catholic Center, but the university office that yeah. also run alternative spring breaks. So um, young people are passionate and they are really very serious about service. So if we can get our young people to do service, not because, um, as Mother Teresa used to say, we don't do what we do because we are social workers, even though it's a beautiful work that social workers do. But our service, it's, it's Christ-centered, mm-hmm. is with Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Um, so that is where I saw fruits of so many vocations. I don't mean just to pursue the religious life, but also really um, families. I have some of my students who got married because they were so, again, service-oriented, but we brought faith into their heart, mm-hmm. uh, serving heart. Um, some of my students now, they uh, are um, uh, certified uh, foster parents. Oh, wow. Um, some, they have opened their homes to sponsor students, you know, locally, wherever, you know, they live, whether in a college and some kids need help, they cannot afford dormitories. So it's really beautiful to see even those who got married, but because they are so Christ-centered families, they still carry that spirit of mission with them in what they do. Wow. Yeah, that's so awesome. And it's so good to hear kind of the other side of a campus minister. Like I interact with campus ministers all the time from the student end, but yeah, that's beautiful. And then at what point did you, um, so you were there for 10 years and then at the end of the 10 years, you started the Daughters of Mary of Nazareth. How did that transition happen? Correct, so I was still there when Cardinal Sean made the announcement in uh, April of 2011 that I was formally leaving and he made the announcement that I'm leaving to, um, you know, join him in this deeper discernment to start this new community. So it it was hard to leave the students and it was just very moving. I was just very touched the things that they did um, on a Catholic, you know, um, environment and Catholic community, but also uh, university as a broad. Uh, at BU, there is a place called BU Rock you know, there is a big rock by Charles River, which part of the campus. And um, 
the the weekend that I was leaving, I was very touched. They paint the whole rock oh, wow. blue, like with spray, and they they drew my picture, my <laughs> face on the rock, and it was there the whole summer after <laughs> I was gone. So it it was really hard to transition, but when it's God is well, He gives us the grace. I knew that I was leaving to do God is well in this new direction of my life, um, but I've been always, you know, close to them and. Um, some of them that I was their spiritual director, I continue mm-hmm. to check on them, even those who live, you know, uh, outside Massachusetts. Um, some of them, they come and visit me, you know, once a year. Um, and most importantly, I, I carry them in my heart and my prayers every day. One of the gifts that I gave to the um, Catholic campus ministry there before I left, I felt that, you know, I wanted something that we will always feel connected and closed uh, because it w- was hard decision on everybody's part yeah. to see that that change. So I, I was able through generosity of some friends to get them a chalice and a pattern mm-hmm. and engraved be beneath it with a prayer that I wrote for them, wow. that I will be always united with them in the Eucharist. Wow, that's so beautiful. Such, yeah. such a meaningful gift. Amen, amen. All right, so we have to wrap up in a second. It has been so lovely to have you on here. Um, I feel like I have so many good takeaways of like being the yeast in the dough and and also the whole carrying, um, like carrying Jesus, like Mary did to Elizabeth and not carrying the presence of Christ within you, but not saying a word, um, because you don't need to when you have him. He's when, when we have him, he's the one who sanctifies everything. True. So true. Yeah. All right. So before we wrap up, I've been doing something with guests. And it's called like Catholic Quick Questions. Okay. So it's a couple a couple questions if you'd like to answer them. All right. So my first question is, what is your favorite book of the Bible to read? The Psalms. Okay. That, that's a good answer. Mm-hmm. I like that answer. What's your favorite book in general, not the Bible? Uh, the Human Face of God and Spirituality of Blessed Charles de Foucault. Ooh, that, that is fitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what... Um, type of ministry gets you most excited? Like, where would you, if you got to pick any type of service or ministry to go to, where would you go? It's, that's a hard pick because, I know. I, you know, I enjoy every one of them in a unique way, but um, I love, you know, working with the little ones and the older because it's t- to see the gift of life from, you know, really very young age all the way to the end. It's such a privilege for me. True. Very true. Good answer. Um, what is your favorite country you've ever traveled to? Um, I love Italy uh, because it's really amazing. It helps me to really get to know the history of our church. Uh, it's a land of many, 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 many saints. Uh, like really, every every town you visit, they have their own saints. And some are known universally and some locally. And it's uh, just really, for me, I'm fascinated how sacred that country maybe was mm-hmm. or I hope still is just because of the amount of saints that land produced. So true. Yeah, I have yet to go to Italy. One of my good friends was studying abroad in Rome this semester, so maybe I'll study abroad there. God willing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite form of prayer or your favorite prayer? Um, even though my life is very busy as an apostolic you know, community, um, but I'm very uh, contemplative in my own life of prayer. Um, so I love just to sit silence and adoration. That's beautiful. Very just, beautiful. Just to be at the foot of Jesus. Yeah. Um, all right. So my next question, I've been asking people who 
I guess, are cradle Catholics, so I don't really know. Did you pick a, conf- or I guess, did your parents pick a confirmation name for you? In the Assyrian Church, we don't have that. Um, but when I became Catholic, um, I chose the name Mary Therese. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Because I love the Blessed Mother and I love the little flowers. So. Yes. And I know Therese won't mind for me to take Mother Mary <laughs> first. So it's true. Mary It's Mary Therese, my confirmation name. Very true. And we can see one of her relics from where we're sitting. Amen. Yes. Yeah, I'm so excited. Every time when I come to Catholic TV, I'm excited to see mm-hmm. Therese right at the front. Yes, and relics of her parents in the chapel, too. Praise God. Yes. Um, if you could meet any, well, I guess, have you ever met a Pope before? Yes, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I saw from not, you know, like close distance, both St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict. Um, but I met personally, like one on one, like with uh, Pope Francis. Wow. That, this past August. That's so cool. Yeah. What what occasion was that? Um, so I was speaking at the conference for Catholic legislators in Rome in Friscati, and then they gave us the um, you know the blessing to have a private audience with the Holy wow. Father. So I was able to meet with him and um, to speak with him a little bit about our community and our prayer for priests and for him. And then um, I asked him to give me a blessing for our new community, and I knelt and he he prayed over me. That's beautiful. Yeah, I I always ask people in the Catholic quick questions, like, if you could meet any pope, who would it be? Um, but I've never had a guest who's met or seen three of them, so that's awesome. Yes. Is there any other pope, if you could have a personal conversation with any of them, who would it be? Uh, St. John the Twenty Third. Okay. Just because, like, he he was a pope during very difficult time in the church. And I'm always very touched by his simplicity and his trust in God. You know, there is this famous prayer they said, you know, um, one prayer, one tradition. They said whenever he had difficulties, um, you know, in ministry, as you can, Im- nobody can imagine yeah. the life of a pope. But he was very close to his guardian angel, and he, um, according to the tradition that we know, that they said he always used to say, I pray to my guardian angel to go to the guardian angel of the people that I'm meeting with, so the guardian angels will prepare for the peaceful meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just that childlike trust in his guardian angel and the guardian angel of the other people. Yeah. And then the other thing that um, every night when he went to bed, there is, again, this famous quote from him. Um, he used to say, Lord, I'm going to bed, and it's your church. You know, like whatever was mm-hmm. going on in the church. Again, that trust that the church belongs um, yeah. to Jesus. So just... You know, maybe because of my love to Therese, I, you know, I do have my own childlike spirituality, so to speak. So I'm drawn to people like her, like St. John the 23rd, mm-hmm. you know, just their childlike trust in God. Yeah, yeah. So trusting and so faithful. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could be best friends with any saint, who would it be? St. Francis. Okay my confirmation saint. <laughs> yeah, he is very close to me. I would say Mother Teresa and St. Francis. They both are very, very close to me. And the reason I phrase it that way, because I feel like they show up a lot in my in my path, in my life. Um, it's really amazing. I cannot tell you how many times I meet people like in the airport, in the grocery store, in other states, wherever I am. They always say, are you with Mother Teresa? <laughs> and or sometimes they say, oh, you know, you really look like her. And <laughs> I mean, I know I look, I'm very short, you know, I'm four foot ten and she was four foot ten. But I really, like, picture wise, we don't look alike and we don't wear the same habit. Mm-hmm. But 
But I, I receive these comments as a sign that she's close to me. She's yes. praying for me. You know, she was also a founder in, in a country that was in her country. So mm-hmm. um, I feel that's her way just showing up to show me that she's close to me. True. Yeah. So many similarities. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Um, all right. So I guess my last question for you is, do you have any advice that you would like to give listeners, specifically young people of the church, any parting words and advice for them to be saints in 2019? You know, one of the things I always encourage people, you know, try not to lower the bar or lower the expectations um, because God can do everything with you. You know, just again, what Mother Teresa, that would be my my last you know, sentence to them, give God permission. Mm-hmm. Because truly, as St. Paul says, what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what God can do for those who love him. So just give God permission. Don't give in into the pressure of your peers, your culture, your school environment, policies, politics. Just give God permission and he can do the impossible in and through you. So true. Amen. Amen. Yes. All right. It has been so beautiful to talk to you, Mother Olga. Thank, Thank you, you so Olivia. much. Thank you, Olivia. It was a blessing to be with you. God bless you on your studies and, and all your ministries and, and your hope for what God wants to do in and through you. God Thank bless you. you. Thank you. The same Thank for you. you. Thank you. All right. We will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to this conversation with Mother Olga and keep on reaching to the heights. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the To The Heights podcast. And a big thank you to Mother Olga for coming and chatting with me. Thank you for giving the Lord permission to work in your life. And thank you for sharing that gift with all of us. You were a true light in the church. And I think I smiled the entire time that we were talking. Thank you for your inspiring words, reminding us to carry within us Christ, just like Mary to Elizabeth, and also to be the yeast in the dough, bringing society to the heights. Thank you, Mother Olga, for you. Be sure to tune in next week for another awesome guest. But until then, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at To The Heights CTV, or find me at OliviaRose underscore art or OliviaRoseArt.com. Talk to you next week and keep on reaching to the heights. <laughs> <laughs>